Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast by Wales Online, brought to you by Gulliver's Sports Travel. Uh, I'm Ben James and today I'm joined by rugby writer Matthew Southcombe to uh, look back over another eventful weekend in Welsh Rugby, of course the Welsh derbies. was eventful. Um, good to be back on the podcast first and foremost. Yeah, when was the last time you did a podcast? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> Probably before the uh, summer tour. Make so, to yeah, making my debut this season uh, back on the podcast. Good to be back, lots to talk about, Welsh Indeed. derbies, never a quiet weekend. Absolutely, never a quiet weekend, and so it wasn't. Uh, we were, we were both in attendance at one of the games. I was at Scarlet's Ospreys. You were at Blues Dragons. So different, different ends of the M4, sir. Different ends of the M4, yeah. Um, so I think we'll start start with uh, my end of the M4. I was down okay. in Finetley. Yeah. Scarlet's against the Ospreys. Um, typical Welsh derby. Full blooded, tense, and uh, just a bit of controversy in there as well, for good measure. Scarlet's came out on top, twenty points to seventeen. So that keeps their uh, Home unbeaten record in the league, twenty five games. Yep. First of all, that's a pretty impressive stat. I think the it last is. last defeat was Munster, I think, back in twenty sixteen. Well, you know, the Scarlets are well oiled machine, aren't they? Um, got some world class players down there. Um, obviously, got a great man manager and Pivac, some really good coaches. Uh, you know, we we've all waxed lyrical about Stephen Jones, Johan uh, Cunningham, and Byron Hayward. Um, Recipe for success is there, and you know they have been successful the last few seasons, and and that breeds confidence. And I know you know it's a difficult place for anyone to go. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. And Welsh derbies as well; they're always they're always niggly down there between the Ospreys and the Scarlets. Um, and they've come out on top again, and and you've got to commend them for that. I think the thing that will please them most is. So often in the past, you know, five ten years, Scarlets Ospreys. The Ospreys pack gets on top, and it's, it's, a, it's a long day at the office for yeah. the Scarlets front five. On Saturday, yep, first half the Ospreys were dominant. That second half, you know, the Scarlets pinned them back in their own twenty-two and just starved them of the ball. And and they they only got one try in the second half. They probably would have liked to kill the game off a bit more. But you know, apart from the you know the late Luke Morgan try that sort of gave them hope, there was only one winner from that second half. Yeah, and I guess you. It's not really the style of play that you associate with the Scarlets either, is it? It's, it's more something that you, as you mentioned, you see the Ospreys doing, especially in the derbies, putting the squeeze on through the front five. And we've always been used to Dan Bigger being there to play the pragmatic game, put them in the right parts of the field, um, and just suffocate sides. But you know, it's for the Scarlets to have done that to the Ospreys shows that there are there are many different sides to the Scarlet side. You know, we always say. You know, I, I've always said they're one of the more entertaining teams to watch to play. I think everyone agrees with that. Um, often the most enterprising sides in, the, in, a, in an attacking sense. Um, so yeah, to see them sort of adopt a more, you know, some might call it boring. Um, you know, most of us would call it pragmatic. Um, to, for them to do that um, shows, like you said, there's more than more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. And and it's good to show that you know someone like Reese Patchell. Can also, whilst he is a great runner, a great distributor, gets backlines going, you can also play an intelligent game and, and and kill the game off, put his teams in the right part of the field and and win the match through the forwards. I think what helped Patchell on that Saturday, he obviously went off about the 30-minute marker just before Corey Allen's try for a HIA, came back for the second half. A lot of that second half then they spent, uh, Lee Halfpenny stepped in at first receiver for clearance kicks and just for tactical kicking really and it was the same when Angus O'Brien came on and, and, and 
I think you know you, you talk about Halfpenny coming into the Scarlets and providing sort of a goalkeeper role at the back and a goal kicking. Yeah. That that's something else that we've seen now is it is just his ability to just put the Scarlets in the right position because talk about the Ospreys not having Dan Bigger to be fair in that first half I saw saw one of some uh, Scarlet's fan tweeting that um, the Scarlet's were making Sam Davis look like Dan Carter yeah you know just the way the way they, the way he was kicking behind you know Sam Davis loves a sort of that raking that raking sort of low low kick isn't low it he, he, he loves yeah. that that's that's absolutely in his wheelhouse and he was doing that first half but second half then you had Patchell and you had Halfpenny and it just it just made a difference yeah exactly and like Halfpenny coming up and playing first receiver something that we're seeing more and more of uh, maybe it's something he's not being asked to do um, they're both right footed so I don't know why they, why that necessarily they would want him to be playing for that reason you know, too often you see this sort of left foot right foot combination yeah. Jonathan Davis does it exactly they're missing Foxy a lot um, but yeah I think with Halfpenny perhaps it's just confidence maybe Um you know, we know he's a confidence player, and we know that he's been lacking it somewhat, um, or regaining it in the last year uh, in his season at the Scarlets. And perhaps now he's he's more comfortable with the systems and more comfortable with his own abilities. He steps up in the first receiver and can perform that role as well as as well as he needs to. And like you said, if it takes the pressure off Patchell in terms of clearance kicks, we know he's a great kicker both out of hand and off the tee. So, you know, it makes sense for him to be involved in that capacity. Absolutely. Now, um, I think it'd be remiss to mention this derby without getting on to the refereeing. There we go. Come <laughs> on. Time to get our hands dirty, I suppose, isn't it? Let's um, get into it. Both coaches uh, weren't particularly happy afterwards. Uh, Alan Clark, I think, felt that um, Nigel Owens and his officials perhaps didn't referee the breakdown consistently. And I also think that, uh, I think Clark said that. Um, Owens wasn't getting a great deal of support from his officials on certain sort of um, calls to do with the scrum from I think, I think he said officials who never really sort of seen a scrum in their life was sort of <laughs> I better be careful what I said that's not the exact quote but I think that's that's the sort of the well, gist of it and then Pivak from the other side there was a number of key incidents that he thinks should have resulted in an Osprey's uh, yellow card if, possibly more if I was if I was Alan Clark, if I if you feel like you didn't quite get the rub of the green at the breakdown, I think I'd probably still keep it to myself given the decisions that did go the Ospreys' way. Um, we'll start with the North try. Um, it's obviously contentious. Um, yep. Any anything, you know, it's not it's not like a you 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 get into the realms of what constitutes scoring a try and whether you need control of the ball whether you just need your hand on the ball when it's on the floor you know when two players have their hand on the ball as it goes to the ground you know it's a real mess isn't it absolutely um, but you know it's, it's good to see that the benefit of the doubt go with the attacking side we always like to see that um, given the way everything was explained you, I think I've, I'd probably agree with the decision that was made on the field at the time um, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that it went in favour of, you know, that he announced that he's obviously ruled in favour of the Ospreys. So come back to it with Alan Clark, you know, that's the first example. Yeah. Maybe you've got the rub of the green and we move on then to the Luke Morgan uh, knock-on. I mean... This one's a bit more blatant, isn't it? I mean, let's get... If you go for an intercept and the ball goes forward, you don't catch it. It's not an automatic yellow card and it's not an automatic penalty try. We should say that. However... Uh, the Luke Morgan one 
we've seen that kind of knock on time and time again and more often than not you go into the bin I don't know if it's a penalty try because I know there was defence coming across there was so I mean when we get in Book was know, in the backfield um, that I know there were numbers outside um, but whether it's a penalty try or not you know that's a that's a different discussion as for the the incident itself a yellow card I think I don't think too many of Osprey's fans could have had many complaints if Luke Morgan had gone for 10 minutes for that personally I don't know what you think about it yeah I think I, I've been looking over the uh, the old law books uh, this weekend to sort of make head or tails of it and first and foremost a, a deliberate knock on is not actually a yellow card offence mm. it's simply a penalty that's the sanction you then sort of deem whether it's a yellow card by sort of one of four reasons which is repeat offence by a team repeat offence by a player deliberate offending by a player or preventing a possible try or breakaway yeah clearly if Luke Morgan's knock on is a penalty which Nigel Lawrence didn't think it was it's broken at least two of them rules so it would have been a yellow card so then you come back to the idea of is it a penalty Um, obviously a knock-on becomes a deliberate knock-on if a player is going for an interception where there is a reasonable expectation he can make the interception and honestly I, I, you look at Luke Morgan's body position left hand is out upright in a blocking motion yeah. right arm never moves his side I, mean, I just don't see how you can catch it that's you not know, reasonable is it? We're, not, we're not talking about we're in the realms of of something beyond extraordinary if you can catch that ball we're talking about like what we, we see with like Odell Beckham Jr. in the NFL <laughs> do you know what I mean that, if he catches that ball he's going to have to have glue on his hands because the pass has been fired at him and he's got one hand out I mean Absolutely. you know for me I don't think he can catch it but you know again it's another decision that, that went in the favour of the Ospreys it could have obviously been a lot worse for them in that instance and then we get on to the Justin Tipperick ones that you've looked at in your piece Yeah. and I mean again you know he's kicking the ball out of a ruck I know Nigel Owens says he doesn't think it was deliberate, but I mean, you know, he's Justin Tipperick, he's not dull. For, for me, it comes down to two things. Doesn't it? First and foremost, I think Nigel Owens has said at the previous penalty, next offence, it's yellow. Yeah. Kicking the ball out of a rug is an offence, it's a penalty, so it's yellow. Yeah. That, that should be the end of it. Now, even if he hadn't have said next offence it's yellow you then look at whether it's a cynical act by Tipperick and he he says he's been pushed and to be fair the replay show he has been pushed but for me he, he, he regathers his foot in and then makes another attempt just to kick the ball out so you can't tell me a player Justin Tipperick's ability doesn't know what he's doing there no exactly I mean you know look at where it is on the field as well um, you can understand the frustrations from the Scarlet's point of view of course you're going to be fuming with that Um and you made a good point earlier, you know, if that's a, a Benetton player or a Zebra player, are we looking at something different there? Maybe it shouldn't sure, be that yeah. way. But, you know, refereeing in a Welsh derby, it's a different environment, it's a different, it's a totally different kettle of fish, you know. And it's easy It's easy for us to sit here and say that kind of thing, you know, if it's a Zebra player, then we might, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and say that. Um, but, you know, we, we have... Yeah, I've seen it. Um, You've only got to think back to the Scarlets win over Benetton at Parker Scarlets when I think obviously Benetton had a red. Uh, no questions about that. That was a red card. Yeah. But the Scarlets could easily have had two men simbed. Yeah. And it's, it's that sort of imbalance which we know the Pro 14 are trying to address. I mean, there's just been a piece this morning over from Ireland 
I think it's is it Garner the, he's the chief of referees yeah. basically saying how they're trying to get neutral referees for all the games and improve the uh, the quality of refereeing um, which has you know it's been it's a long been a gripe amongst fans hasn't oh, it oh yeah yeah and then it's the final um, the final one is obviously the high tackle uh, yeah you know on Sam Hidalgo Klein yeah Sam Hidalgo Klein lovely little half break um, and then just steps inside Tiprick and it, it's Nigel Owen's words were it's it's a reaction so he sort of stepped from Tiprick's right shoulder to his left and, and Tiprick's just sort of left a straight arm up and sort of caught him it starts just to the top of the shoulder around the neck and it probably does make contact with the jaw yeah so in this current climate to me that I think you start the, the sort of sanction at a red card and then work your way down yeah with the minimum sanction for a reckless tackle to the head being a yellow card mm. I know Sean Holly on the commentary was sort of incredulous yeah sort of, you, you know. can you can understand why I mean in this like you said given the way things are at the moment how many times you know more often than not you see yellow cards for those incidents you know I'm not sure the fact that it's a reaction is a mitigating circumstance um you know, I'm not. This is where this is where it's a bit, bit of sort of. Well, it comes down to what you know. Do we referee? Do, do they referee intent or do they referee, well, referee outcome? You know, Nigel Owens is his far better place than you or I to comment on Absolutely. the laws of the game. But you know, you re- any referee re- will referee what they see, and you know, if he sees it one way, then that's how he calls it. Um, and you know, they don't don't forget. You know, they're in the, in the middle of this pressure cooker. And if he thinks, if he thinks he's seen what he's seen doesn't constitute a yellow card, then he's not going to give one. You know, sh- you know, Sean Holly obviously took a different view on it. Me and you probably take a different view on it as well. Um, but you know, he, he just calls what he sees in that instance. I think it, I think it probably was a yellow card, especially like we say, given what's going on yeah. at the moment. Um, you know, don't get me—it's not—it's not the most horrendous high tackle you'll ever see, but. No. If, if we're being consistent with what we've seen over the last sort of 18 months then it's probably a sin binning but you know we come back to the original point if you're Alan Clark and you feel like you had a few injustices at the breakdown then I think the four incidents we've just discussed will probably outweigh that yeah um, and before we before we move on I just I got something to say on on Nigel Owens and I saw some I saw some tweets before the game and uh, from from uh, Osprey's fans suggesting that he shouldn't be refereeing the game because of some perceived bias that he has towards the Scarlets, um, it's just absolute nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know, I can't. I I was I was really upset to see that sort of thing because, well, what are we saying? You know, the, the suggestion is that he socialises with with Scarlets players and things like that in Clanethley. Well, first of all, the bulk of the Scarlets team lives in Cardiff, right? So let's get out of the way. But, you know, people like Wayne Barnes has got a relationship with a lot of players in England and nobody questions his integrity. You, you, can't, in question, you can't start questioning Nigel Owens like that. Everything he's achieved, you know, he, every side will feel like the referee's against them. Every fan of every team will always feel like the referee's not on their side. That's, the way, that's just yeah, the way it goes. The thing, right? the thing with it's Nigel's, absolute nonsense. The thing with Nigel is it works both ways because the Ospreys fans thinks he's biased towards the Scarlet's. I think Scarlet's fans sort of hate having him for this derby because they think that subconsciously Nige wants to uh, sort of disassociate 
disassociates himself. Disassociate. It's a word. We'll, 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 we'll get over it. Uh, yeah, from from the Scarlets and and perhaps favour the other team, sort of some sort, sort of subconscious bit, sort of. Yeah, but I know what you say, but. These are professionals, right? They, they can distance themselves from that, right? We've all got, like, in our job, right? I'm from Wales, so does that mean I can't report impartially on Wales when we play? Do you know what I mean? Like, when Wales play rugby, it's something that you learn quite early is to try and suppress those emotions because obviously, um, subconsciously, you're Welsh, so that when, when Wales are playing rugby, that you try, and we write for obviously a Welsh audience primarily, so there's always that sort of slant on it, but. You've got to put your emotions to one side because you you are commenting on a game, and if Wales play bad, they they get criticised, and yeah. you have to be able to do that. When they play well, you have to be able to give them praise. So Nigel Owens is a professional, regardless of of where he's from. Any allegiances should be put to one side, and I have absolutely no doubt that he's capable of doing that, and that he does it. To suggest that. Um, he's impartial. It's really having a go at his integrity, and I think it's a bit out of order, to be honest. And if he, if he had a bias towards the Scarlets, the four decisions that we just talked about would have all been refereed differently. Yeah. So, you know, I think it needs to be said that some of the things that were levelled at Nigel Owens before that game were out of order. Um, and like I said to you, you know, fans are, fans will always feel like referees are against them, and unfortunately, that's the way it goes. But you know, I think. To start doing that before the game is 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 poor. Yeah, I, th- I think in terms of Pro 14, referees do have to disclose any teams they support, don't they? Well, I know for, you know for a fact they do in the Premier League, don't they? Yeah. And so they have to, and and then they don't referee those teams, and that's a great luxury for the Premier League to have. But as as you touched on earlier, unfortunately, we don't have that number of quality referees in the Pro 14. So. You get your best referees and you put them on the, on the, the most high-profile games. Um, you know, there's every chance that we could have had a Scottish referee over. You could have had an absolute stinker, and then yeah. all of a sudden, is that Scottish referee biased against yeah. the Scarlets or against the Ospreys? No, he's not. You know, these guys referee what they see. End of. Anyone who's refereed a game of rugby before will know that they can't see everything. And you know, it's it's, it's you know, there is an argument that it's easier for professional referees because they got the TMOs and they got the touch judges, etc., etc. But nobody, no, no, I don't believe that any official goes onto the field with some preconceived idea against one side or another. They might know what to look for with certain players. Certain players develop a reputation, and we'll come on yep. to that a bit later, I think, with Ross Moriarty. Um, but they know what to look for with some guys. Um, but I don't believe that they go in with a bias against any side. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. Anyway. Glad you, glad you got it off your chest. Thank you. I need to get that one off my chest, can you tell? Um, moving on, moving on. Yeah, I want to bring up. I want to bring up one guy in particular. Um, George North. Yes, started the season like a house on fire. Yes, um, four tries in five games. I think. Yeah, he's obviously going to have his game time managed this year. They're going to be looking after him at the Ospreys on the NDC, um, and obviously a large part of that is with the WIU as well, uh, looking after him. This stretches back for me to the Six Nations this year, uh, obviously last season. Uh, when he came on against England, coming back from injury, I believe, uh, if my memory serves right. And there were, there were glimpses in that game where you're thinking, okay, um, oh, sorry, it wasn't this year, it was the year before. So we're talking back now, uh, Wales at Twickenham. 
Twickenham Owls. No, Twickenham, Twickenham, Twickenham Owls. Twickenham Owls yeah. Sorry, but yeah, this year that's why my mind's playing tricks on me. Um, so yeah, Twickenham. He came on. Um, it wasn't hugely involved, but the touches that he did get during the time he was on the field, it was the first time in a while where you're thinking defenses are potentially intimidated by this guy. Um, and it was a kind of a throwback, and you, you didn't jump the gun because it was only a brief, a brief peek yeah. at what was around the corner. But slowly and slowly, he's been more consistent. He was brilliant in Argentina, and it's growing and it's growing. And as you said, he started with what sounded like four tries in five four games. Four tries in five games, yeah. And the try he scored against the Scarlets, that's not an easy finish. And no. might I add, he hasn't just rounded anyone to get to the corner. He's left fellow two-time British and Irish Lion and Wales International all-round defensive stalwart you know solid you called him a goalkeeper we all appreciate how good he is defensively and he ain't going to be happy with what his mate has done to him there no because he's he's bounced around him got to the corner whether you want to whether you think he grounded in or not etc it was given but you know when George North is doing things like that to people like Lee Halfpenny that's something everybody in Wales should start getting excited about, uh, looking to what's coming ahead in the next 12 months. To be fair, from, from the press box, I initially thought that he could have done more to finish that. Right. It just, you know, it was far side of the ground, and I just thought he could, he could have dived a bit earlier there, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it looked to me like he, he, he chose to ride those tackles, but watching it back on the replay, you realise, okay, yeah, he's. He's been tackled by two guys, yeah, and he's done well to stay in field and get the ball down, which yeah. he did appear to do. So this is the thing, mate. You know, if it, he's scoring tries, he's going to be enjoying his rugby. And if you're enjoying your rugby, you play with more freedom, and good things just naturally begin to happen. But my point is, you know, with the grounding and all that, you know, we can sit here till the cows come home and, and talk about that. But what what interests me is is the way he got to the try line. And what I'm saying is he's he's taken on someone of Lee Halfpenny's calibre there beating. and beating him well without you know quite easily. Um, and Halfpenny as well, by the way, missed Luke Morgan who had one hand on the ball, the other side of the ball on his face, and Luke Morgan dusted him for that as well. So you know Lee Halfpenny had a great game, but he he ain't going to be happy with the way those two tries were scored, in my opinion. That's I think probably the Scarlet's best two players. Him and Kieran Fonatia, I think in many people's eyes, probably the two contenders for man of the match. Both were at fault for two tries. You're right. It's a strange sort it of is. little. And, we're, and I suppose people like us were never never happy, are we? But well, Pivax wanted to point out the two <laughs> tries. We, we, we were all there, waxy limbo going. Yeah, Fonatia, right. man of the match. Fantastic. It depends what you want to focus on, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you know, they, of course they deserve praise for all the good things they do and. But equally, that doesn't mean they're immune to criticism Absolutely. as well. And someone like Pivak, you know, the head coach who will always want to keep things level-headed, keep players' feet on the ground. You know, it's not really that surprising to see him point out that Fonatia might have been at fault yeah. for the Corey Allen try. You know, that's that's his job at the end of the day. But it, our job, I suppose, is to look at look at everything as a whole. Yes, obviously, Lee Halfpenny is a fantastic rugby player. I have I have been one of his biggest defenders but he won't be happy rocking up to work this morning when he watches the tape back with those two tries in particular 
what, what he did for the rest of his performance, you know, it's, that's up to him to, to look at. But I'm talking about those two tries. I think he will feel like he should have stopped them. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. For me, the interesting thing with North was how they used him because, you know, there he got the ball, he was in motion, taking it on a pace, looked dangerous. But and there was a couple of sort of loose kicks which he returned with interest. But a lot of times he was taking the ball at first receiver, static. Mm. And it's. Which just gives you the impression there's more to come with him. When when they really figure out how to yeah. get him into the game, like I think they've got a nice balance coming with the two wingers they've got at the minute because you've got North who can they'll use a first receiver or a second receiver just to sort of bash through midfield. Luke Morgan's for me has been a revelation this season since yeah. coming over from say like, you know from sevens. It was it was sort of without fanfare, wasn't it? In the yeah. summer, you know, Wales's all-time record points try scorer from sevens, signed for the Osprey. Thought, oh, okay, you know, he's, he's having a crack at the 15 side game. He, he probably won't do much, mm. and he's he's taken to it like a duck to water. Like again on uh, Saturday, you know, deliberate knock on aside. <laughs> um, every time he gets the ball, he beats the first man, and he usually slips past the second man. Took his try tremendously well, as he did last week was denied the try against Bennett on the week before because of a knock-on but it was another brilliant finish and he just looks a real threat and also just a bona fide finisher oh yeah he's, he is the ultimate finisher and he's, he's, there's no there's no substitute for pace back <laughs> as I'm sure you're aware and you know he's got it in abundance and um, you know it's, it's going to be interesting when to see uh, I, I, the big thing for me when players come over from sevens is is can they it's a more uh, confrontational game 15 aside there's not there's not as much space yep. on the field so can they handle uh, the obvious physicality that comes with that you, there will be occasions in 15 aside where you are like you are caught in a small space with men who are far bigger than you and you know it's going to be interesting to see how we ha- I think being on the wing like for example Sam Cross coming into the back row I think is much harder than Luke Morgan coming onto the yep. wing um but yeah, no, it's going to be interesting with North again. You know, like you said, can they get the best out of him at the Ospreys? You know, the, his try scoring record so far would suggest that there's some way towards doing that. I was I watched him against the Cheetahs a couple of weeks ago. Uh, great backline move, and it, it resulted in them putting him through the gap that was literally the size of you could get a seven four seven aircraft through there. And if the Ospreys can get George North running through holes like that, then he's going to cause absolute carnage and. It, you know, I just wanted to make the point that it was good to see him yeah. returning to what we think may be some of his best form and crossing the whitewash and it's something that Welsh fans all over the country should be getting excited about because as we all know there's a World Cup in 12 months time there is just final point though it is just pleasing to see him running at gaps isn't it rather than running at running men because there, there, there was a point probably around 2014 where he just seemed to sort of I think with the Northampton move just seemed to sort of move towards just, just running at men yeah. Now he's sort of mixing it up and running the gaps again, and that's again. You that's know, all, that's but, only good. But uh, I, I don't think that's George North's personal preference. I think <laughs> I don't think he, he wanted particularly to be running at, at Giants. No, even though he is one. Um, it's just it comes down to situations on the field when you get the ball and how you get the ball, and yeah. you know, like I said, hopefully the Ospreys, as they appear to be, are some way to getting the best out of him. I think that's the Scarlets. Ospreys Derby put yeah I think so I mean I think there were a few more talking points in your Derby than there were in mine this weekend but we'll, there is still plenty to talk about at the uh, try bring them out then Rodders 
Yeah, yeah, sorry. Three. Down the other end of the M4. Yeah, 2315. Um, Taylor two halves, really. Classic tail. I'm coming up with a few cliches today. I apologise. Um, Dragons raced out into a 12 0 lead. Crowd were going for it. Um, and you're thinking, okay, wow, um, this could be the, the moment for them to finally get that win in a Welsh derby. Um, Bernard Jackman has been talking about it. Um, since he arrived that one of his goals is to win a Welsh derby yet to achieve it um, still yet to achieve it uh, but yeah they were controlling the game Blues couldn't get into it I tweeted before the game you know or during the game that all week I felt like it would just be classic Cardiff Blues to lose this game yeah. because they've got their season back on track um, Bernard Jackman called their performance against Munster the best by a Welsh region so far this year and I think most of us would agree with that definitely um, obviously they started horrendously got their season back on track and the Blues problem is always consistency can they string together a series of performances and when they do it then they are genuine contenders but last season they played themselves out of the league in the early part of the year second half of the year they were just trying to repair the damage that they've done and they obviously strung together all those performances yeah. and if they'd started better that would have resulted in a playoff spot they didn't so it didn't so you were thinking to yourself, and when they're 12 0 down, you're like, this is classic Cardiff Blues. Um, but to their credit, Owen Lane, uh, we'll come on to him in a bit more detail in a, in a sec, um, scored just before half time, got them back in with a sniff. Then the set piece took over for the Cardiff Blues, the scrum was a constant source of penalties for them. Anscombe kicked well early in the second half, two long range efforts. Um, and then the Blues took control. Anscombe came more and more influential in the game. Jared Evans came on, um, added something different as well. Um, they had a bit. They had the wind in the second half as well, which was a factor. The coaches said after the game, um, and they just ran away with it. They, they'd probably be in the end disappointed not to get the bonus point. They had a chance in the closing stages. Didn't didn't close it out. But you know, all in all, um, I think the Blues will be happy because, as I said, if they faced adversity. Uh, despite what I might have thought at the time and what other people might have thought at the time they faced the adversity and they've overcome it and I think that probably says a lot about where the Blues are this season um, but I'm still you know the Blues will always have to prove themselves um, or at least for the next few weeks yeah. as far as I'm concerned you know, they're not they're not a team that I'm like that I, with the Scarlets you would you would see them going up against someone like uh, Benetton or whoever and you'd be like, right, they may not win comfortably, but they'll find a way. Whereas the Blues, you know, you're going into the Italian games, you're always a little bit worried. Um, so, but yeah, give them the credit. They came back um, from being down 12-0. Rodney Parade, as you, as you know, is lively, um, especially when the Dragons get up. And uh, yeah, they did well. They did well. But um, did, you, did you see the castle at the back? Did you see oh, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, they're trying to do stuff down there. Fair play to them. I think that one might need to be revisited. Um we were hoping we were hoping that there was gonna be a bit of smoke coming out of him as well when the players came out of the tunnel, but it didn't transpire. But you know, they're trying to do their thing down there, the dragons, but I think they might have to revisit the old castle. Uh, the other thing was one of the boys uh, complained about it as well, saying it looked a bit cheap, but you know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say who said it, but it was me. But yeah, you know, they're doing their thing down there, um, trying to get a bit of atmosphere going. But to be fair, you know, 
the, the crowd it wasn't a great crowd down there for the derby or 7,000 yeah. you know you want to see more than that but at the same time it generates a good atmosphere at times Rodney Parade it's, you know it's an old ground it's just a proper it's throwback day, it? yeah. it's tight you know you got players Anscombe when he was having a kick and a conversion from a touchline he was getting it from the fans you know it's that's how it is and um, you know I think it was a good atmosphere there but you know, Bernard Jackman says that the Dragons are getting closer to a derby victory. Well, they haven't won in the league in a derby since 2014, 20-odd in a row that they've lost. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's going to sway fans. You know, you're 12-0 up, that's a game, really, you should, it's difficult to lose from 12-0 up. They're playing good rugby as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Tries, the tries were good tries. They were good tries. You know, Josh Lewis getting over in the corner. You're just thinking... It must be, you feel like you're banging your head against the wall as a Dragons fan. But you know, you look at the, in, I don't want to make excuses for the Dragons, right? But you put Harlem Amos into that side and the likes of Ashton Hewitt. And suddenly it, it takes on a slightly different look. You know, Adam Warren has to go to the wing second half. Yeah. And you know, Adam Warren played really well in that game. But he's not, he looked like somebody who doesn't play, who hasn't played on the wing for a while. Hasn't potentially got the speed of some of Ashton Hewitt, Alan Amos, and those guys, and so that's you know you have to rejig things, and all of a sudden it starts to look a little bit touch and go. So you put Alan Amos back in the mix, put Ashton Hewitt back in the mix, and suddenly it might look a little bit different for them. But you know it's just a case of same old story, unfortunately, for the Dragons. It felt like a similar story in Glasgow the week before, where they were. Glasgow were probably there to be going. I think you know they dominated and they probably could have had more tries. Dragons defensively in some areas regressed, in some areas progressed. But then you looked at the back line and it's with with the injuries they've got beyond Jordan Williams, there just there just wasn't any sort of spark. Yeah, I mean Jordan Williams, as we've all said, raised a few eyebrows when he got the number fifteen jersey ahead of Alan Amos at the start of the season, given what all the noises have been from Wales and from the Dragons about Amos being a better 15 than a wing it well not supposed to be better but he offers a lot of 15 yeah. um, but you know before last weekend he was the top made more metres than anyone else in the league so you've got to give him that um, but yeah you look, in, you look around the back line for game breakers um, Rodri Williams has the potential to be one you know he is sharp and you know he's built in the same mould as people like Gareth Davis etc that kind of scrum half but that hasn't really shown yet as such. Um, and then where do you go? I mean, you know, like I said, when you take Hallam Amos and Ashton Hewitt out of the back line, who are your game breakers? Yeah. You know, there's no one... Who's going to set the game on fire? Apart from Jordan Williams, as you said. No one, really. And then, obviously, you look you look across the field, opposite them, you've got the Cardiff Blues back line. You know, in fairness, the midfield was pretty nullified. If anything... Um, Adam Warren's break between Halaholo and Lilo, you know, who got on top in that battle? Well, before the game, everyone was looking at it thinking, <laughs> you know, they could be on the end of one year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Blues midfield was pretty quiet for the large part, and credit has to go to the Dragons for that. But then we'll come on to Owen Lane, you know, look at the tries he scored. I mean, the, the first try he scored. I mean, I can't believe there's not been a bit more noise about this, but how on earth he has scored that, I'll never know. So he, he's gone around Josh Lewis from, not from a standing start, but the, the pass was sort of floated out to him. 
He's gone around Josh Lewis, ruined that tackle. He's gone for the corner. He's taken over three defenders with him, two of which Ross Moriarty and Ollie Griffiths, by the way. Exactly, it's not and, big, is it? And he's managed to get it down before being bundled into touch. And that is the finish of a man who is destined to play international rugby. That is around the corner. Warren Gatlin was in the crowd at Rodney Parade, was watching on. I mean, after the match, Owen Lane could not have done more to direct attention away from his personal performance and put it on the team, as you would expect yeah. in this day and age from from a young player like that. Um, but, you know, and then he scores that one in the second half. That's not an easy finish. He's got a lot to do there. Again, you know, you've got defenders coming across. He's put in space. Uh, Lilo actually does really well to spot Aaron Jarvis in the line, goes around him, attracts the attention of the last defender, slips it to Lane, and then it lights up. But, you know, he's got to run it in, and, and he does take a tackle, take a hit going over, finishes well again, and, I mean, it's going to... If he can, you know, just maintain a level of performance in, in Europe now, not get injured, um, I think we'll see him in the autumn squad. As I... You know, we'll, the bigger picture is Wales here, and my personal opinion is that if you're not capped now, you won't play. You're not going to be playing at the World Cup, barring injuries or an unbelievable upturn in form. But the one player who I think will buck that trend is Owen Lane. It has the potential to do that. Um, so I, I, th- I think he should be included in the autumn squad because I think he has. He is one of the only uncapped players with the potential to make this World Cup. So I would like to see him in the Wales squad, that's me. Um, as I said, Gatlin was watching, and he will be impressed with what he's seen there. Um, so that's up to him, uh, but he would be in my autumn squad. But the other guy who obviously caught the eye in the second half in particular, Gareth Anscombe. Um, another one, you know, we've had this debate before, is he is he a better 10 for Wales at the moment? Um but we're not going to, you know, let's look at his performance first. He, first half, playing into the wind, difficult to control that game. Obviously, the Dragons got on top early. Um, wasn't wasn't his finest half of rugby, but second half comes into it in a big way. As I've said, you know, his goal kicking um, was pretty good uh, in, at the start of that first half. Two early penalties, cut down the Dragons' death, the lead, and... Um, really got the Blues back into it and, and obviously they went on from there and obviously the eye-catching thing is the break yeah. um, took the high ball <laughs> took it well and then looked up and there's no dragon strikes nothing, is there? nothing but grass you know it's just his own teammates sort of dispersed yeah. out of the way and then suddenly he's got 30 metres to run into you know the Dragons will look at that and be furious yeah. um, but you know backed himself burned off Rodri Williams was probably about to burn off um Josh Lewis as well and then I think it was Jared Rosser got back um, and I didn't even see him coming but he Dav got Howell, uh, Dav Howell sorry yeah. yeah Dav Howell's got back made the tackle you know credit to him for that but then the ball gets spun out Owen Lane scores in the other corner um, so yeah Anscombe was the other eye-catching performance I know you've got opinions on when he breaks into the backfield yeah I just you know first things foremost he is clearly a very good player you know, I, I think there's been this debate in Wales for a couple of years now. Is he overrated? I think I think we can finally put to bed. He's not. Yeah. When it comes to the test stage, there's still some nagging doubts in the back of my mind. Um, 
One of which is, I think, when he gets into the backfield, I don't know, he, he tends to back himself a lot, which I have no problem with, but I just sometimes think that he ignores when support is in better options. It's just that sort of hint of selfishness. You know, clearly, he, he's, he's a Kiwi, very confident individual, wants to be the game winner. Sometimes I just think he doesn't look for the right pass and he just backs himself too often. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, in that instance, he um, was kind of on his own. Um, I remember yeah, for me, when he, for me, he's got to back himself there. When he when he broke away, you suddenly start to look around at what his options are, and I mean, it's it's easier for us to look at what his options are. You know, it's more difficult yeah. for him to do it because he's in the moment, and I couldn't really see any for him. So, you know, he has backed himself. He's got you know he has got bags of pace, which some people might not realise about him. Um, obviously, he's played a lot of 15 in Super Rugby, um, and you've got to be quick in that league to play that position. Um, you know, I take I take take your point on that. Perhaps he does um, drift away from support and things like that. But you know, guy backs himself, and you've got to give him his, his fair dues for that. And you know, in, ultimately they scored from it. I know they didn't score from that yeah. phase, but like, like I said, it's, all, it's only a sort of minor thing. But I just remember sort of doing some analysis back in the Six Nations, and it just. I think it was the Italy game. Just the, the odd, the odd time you see there's, there's a gap, say, outside him, and all he's, if he gives a, a flat pass, he puts someone through that gap, and instead he goes goes himself. So he drags his defender and he closes that gap, and it, it, it's that sort of it's, it's an American football phrase. You know, as a quarterback, you you, you live for the next play. Yeah. So you know, give the pass, and then you're back at first receiver. I know that sort of conflicts with what we see from Patchell, who does run a lot. Yeah. But for me, that's a different sort of running in, in, in terms of it being selfless. In that he, he he takes he hits gaps rather than taking gaps away from other players. So he gets rid. He looks to get rid of it. Is what you're saying? Yeah, more it, than perhaps Anscombe does. Yeah, it, it, it's, like I say, it's, it's a minor thing. And let's be fair. Do you think Anscombe's first first instinct is to run, yeah. as opposed to distribute? Think so, yeah. I think that's his instinct. I don't think it's unfair to suggest that. I, I, I would argue that, and it, it feels which is so, why you can play fullback as well. Exactly, and it feels it feels hypocritical because Patchell's big. One of the biggest facets of Patchell's game is that he takes on defenses and runs. Mm. But he run when he runs, he, he runs at a gap. He runs at an outside shoulder, with with the mindset always being. If they drift, or if they if they if they bite onto me, I give a pass because there's a gap. Mm. If they don't, I've got the pace, I've got the power, I can hit that gap and I can make yards. I feel like Anskin probably just makes that decision a little bit too early and goes, "I'm going to hit that gap. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, it's, it's ball under the jumper sort of stuff." Yeah, and it's 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 a real minor thing for me. And like I say, it's it's you only have to look at Anskin's performances to realise. 99% of what he's doing is is really good play mm-hmm. and um, one thing let's, let me put this to you does Patchell perhaps have better weapons at his disposal I'm only saying this because you look at people like Johnny McNichol who runs and Gareth Davis who runs such intelligent support lines look at the try McNichol scored on the weekend the support line that he runs he doesn't stay out on his wing. Comes he back, comes yeah. back inside to where the space is. What I'm saying is maybe there's something to be said for 
the Scarlets have those players with the natural instinct to know where the space is and to find it. Where, whereas, is there something to say that the Blues maybe don't possess those players yet? I know you've got Thomas, Thomas, Thomas possible, Williams. Yeah. Thomas Williams runs similar lines to Gareth Davis in terms of support, so I suppose you've got him there. Um, you look at the midfield, Lilo and Halaholo. Would you say that support running is one of their strengths? Perhaps, perhaps not. I don't know. I mean, it's a general question. It's, it's, you know, it's a possibility. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point you raise. Um, it's, it's a job to tell. I just think. I think a big thing with Patchell when he runs at these gaps, and maybe we don't see that with the Blues as much, but because it's just that their sort of all-court game isn't quite what the Scarlets is. But Patchell can run at gaps. I know I just said, you know, live for the next play. Patchell can hit a gap and he can take himself out of the game knowing that they've, they've, got, they've got front row forwards who can step in a first receiver, like yeah. Bob Evans. And yeah. we, we saw that for Wales this year start to come through in the Six Nations. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we haven't seen that with the Blues yet, yeah. um, especially getting Jenkins has been out for such a long time. So, so maybe, there's, maybe there's that element in which... Patchell can afford to be yeah, there's not so much selfish risk. and also selfless yeah. in that regard well maybe Anscombe can maybe maybe that's it the stakes are a bit higher for Anscombe perhaps in that regard talking of fly halves uh, moving on <laughs> here we go our friend of the show the long time <laughs> panellist uh, Andy Howell has written a piece yesterday uh, published on Wales Online recently uh, about Dan Bigger. Dan Bigger. Andy, I've got something to say. You're wrong. I disagree. I don't like the fact that you're not here to defend yourself. Um, but you're going to keep the book in but anyway. I'm going to tell you why. Dan Bigger. Um, you should probably, probably say why you, what the piece Well, says. yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll say the piece. All right. Dan Bigger. Andy saying that Dan Bigger shouldn't be picked in the autumn squad. Uh, various reasons, a couple of them being that um, it takes the pressure off the likes of Patchell and Anscombe because of Dan Bigger's character, he's imposing, he wants to play all the time. Um, big, big personality in the dressing room, so it takes that out of the equation, gives the likes of Patchell and Anscombe more room to grow on the international stage. Uh, makes the point that Dan Bigger is, of, is one of those people who could come back in at any given time on the international stage and just slot back in seamlessly, which is right and fair enough. Um, my counter-arguments to all that is if, if Bigger doesn't play in the autumn he goes pretty much a full calendar year having not played international rugby because we get around to the Six Nations yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah, that is true. Um, without him having played and obviously they, they brought him back for the I think it was the Island game um, which was the first game back into that Six Nations and that even showed how desperate they were to get him in because yeah. they rushed him back for that and, cause, and Bigger is Gatlin's big game number 10 end of discussion on that um so you don't want him to go a year having not played international rugby, regardless of, of what Andy says about him being able to waltz back in at any time, which is fair enough, but I don't think you want him going a year without playing international rugby. This thing about him um, being some sort of imposing figure and, and suffocating the other two fly halves in terms of their development, well, they both had the summer for that. Yeah. They were, they were both, they were the only two tens on the tour, there was only two of them, but not three. They were going to they were going to be given equal playing time, but Patchell's performance against Argentina meant that he started that final test ahead of Anscombe. So they both had a chance. Anscombe had a more difficult game to manage against South Africa. Weather was quite tricky. Opposition obviously difficult. 
and and I don't think any of us expected Argentina to roll over the way they did. No, um, but you know, not to take away from what Pachel did in that game, but they had that chance then. You know, we're not, and these three fly halves, as I've already mentioned, are the fly halves that Wales are going to take to the World Cup. Yeah, right. This this World Cup cycle is not for Jared Evans, and it's not for Sam Davis or anybody like that. This World Cup cycle is Anscom, Patchell and Biggers, right? So they're gonna Biggers gonna be there at the World Cup in Japan. So they might as well get used to it. Right? If if they're not used to and I, I think they are used to it, but Andy seems to suggest that they'd rather him not be there for not them, but you know, for the growth of them, etc. etc. He's gonna be there then, he's gonna be there in the Six Nations. I don't understand what the point is in trying to hide that. Um, so I would have him there. You know, he's he's a born, you know, he's a leader. He wants to win. You know, he has incredible desire. The only thing that goes against him at the moment is Northampton are not firing. No, as such. But I don't think you leave him out based on the fact that those are going to be your three fly halves for the World Cup. Pick them all and get them working to get like you know give them time with each other. Get them comfortable with each other which they probably already are anyway but you know I don't see the need to separate them and I certainly don't see the point in bringing in a Jared Evans or a Sam Davis now because yeah, I, I just they brought Sam Davis in a couple of years ago when he was on fire he was a young lad and look at what's happened in the last two years it's just he's, he is rebuilding his career let's face it that's, that is why Gatland doesn't want to bring in Evans That's until right. after 18 exactly. months it's that exact reason exactly right you, know, you don't you know, and they, you know this, might, this, this might annoy a few people and because Jared Evans is obviously playing well when he gets in at the Blues um, he's not starting all the time by the way but when he, when he does play he obviously plays well we all accept that he's a very talented rugby player but do we want to expose him to that top level now but, and for what He's, he's not going to play at the World Cup in my opinion so I don't see the point in putting him in now for the sake of it yeah. don't cap him now for the sake of it let him stay at the Blues let him develop let him continue on this trajectory that he's on and then when Pivac comes in after Gatland goes at the end of the World Cup he's going to be massive reset across the board right players are going to start with clean slates in the eyes of the management for the large part yeah. obviously there'll be reputations carried over but it's essentially there's that four year cycle begins again so they can begin working with Jared Evans alongside whoever else so I would leave him where he is for now and it'll be frustrating for him because obviously yep. he'll want to play for Wales as soon as he can Get you know, of course he does but for the sake of having and avoiding the risk and avoiding what happened with Sam Davis Definitely. they do not want to make that mistake again Patchell, Anscombe and Bigger are your three fly-halves for the World Cup and you want to work with them now and figure out where your best one is. Yeah. Right now, it's Dan Bigger. Right? Gat- Gatland will pick Dan Bigger in the big games over the other two because they had their chance in the- on tour and personally, I was still left thinking I want to see more from those two on the international stage before I feel like there is a credible challenger for Dan Bigger's number 10 jersey in the big games. So let those three work together until the World Cup, and then you start looking outside that. That's my opinion. I know Andy yeah, will disagree, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure we'll give them a chance to fire back next week. You probably will, yeah. But uh, also the other thing is, obviously Scotland's first up outside the Test window. 
it was always it was always likely to be an experimental game anyway. So Bigger's not probably going to be as in, in, the, yeah. in the squad in, yeah. in, in training that week. So you, Patchell and Hans can do have that sort of free hit first up. Yeah, they're going to have a free run there. And you know, Scotland. We don't know how that game's going to pan out. Whether it's going to be both teams going full bore or whether it will be some form of you know experimental kind of game. Um, but either way, like you said, Bigger's probably not going to be around for it. So. It'll be Anscombe or, or Pacho, so they get they get their free hit there. Um, whoever's in form at the time will probably get the nod because I don't think there's much between them. And I don't think there's much between them in the eyes of the management either. So whoever's the most in form over the next two weeks in Europe will will get the shout yeah. and they'll get the keys to number ten, so to speak. I think you're right in saying that those three are going to the World Cup. And for me, during the Six Nations, we chop and change between them. And what what became obvious was. <laughs> How pigeonhole each of them fly half side in a certain game plan. Yeah, and you know horses for courses is is great and everything, but for me it doesn't really work if it's so blaringly obvious how you're going to play depending on which fly half. So I yeah. think I, I'd agree with you. I think it's vital that we have them three training week in week out in the same sort of in a similar system. So if we throw Dan Bigger in or if we throw Reese Patchell in, teams can't go. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're just going to kick the ball in the air. Yeah, it's always been the same. Like, and you're right. You're exactly right. I remember jumping to the defence of Dan Bigger in the Six Nations because he had so much stick. Because suddenly Wales, midway through the tournament, changed their game plan a little bit, um, reverted back to the style that we associate with Dan Bigger. But you can't ask him to go out there and perform like Patchell because he is not Rhys Patchell. He doesn't offer the same things. And Patchell doesn't offer the same things as Dan exactly. Bigger. It's always been the same with, with Bigger. If you can get him doing little things that the others can do, and vice versa with Patchell and Anscombe, then you create you almost create a monster. You create a well you know, you create the, the all round fly off who can do it all. And there ain't many of them in the history of rugby. No. So, you know, with Bigger I I think he is capable of of a running game. He is capable of a you know a wide ranging passing game. Of course he is. He's an international rugby player. Um, what what we need to see though is that just coming out on the big stage. And like you said, perhaps those guys working with each other closely the, is the key to that. I think a lot of it comes down to say how the other fourteen players react to when Patchell's there and when Bigger's there. You know, mm. players are probably going to be more instinctively. Uh, Inclined to play the expansive game and to, to take up those positions if Patchell's there, then a bigger's there. And it, it's just getting it so those fly halves sort of know how to get the other games out of the other players because you know, we're not expecting Dan Bigger to you know, step in and turn into Barry Jock, are we? No. It's just about having players running the right lines off him and, and playing the right game. Yeah. That they play off Patchell. It's just, it's just, it's just sort of smoothing all those edges on the different game plans. So we're, we're sort of left with. Rather than three corners of a very wide triangle, it's it's all a bit closer in and yeah, yeah. Move, moving on now, moving on, that's yeah. enough fly after bit. Absolutely, the final, yeah. the final one to nail down. Uh, Ross Moriarty. Oof, Ross uh, Moriarty. Another piece written by one of our colleagues, uh, Delmi Parfit, uh, <laughs> suggesting he's putting his Wales career on the line by the way he sort of handles his temperament. A um, couple of things on that, really. I mean. Let's get one thing straight on Ross Moriarty. He's the kind of player who you need 
playing right on the edge. Absolutely, yeah. The, right on that line is where he's at his best. Um, we all know it. The trouble you get with those players is they do occasionally cross the line. Uh, and we've seen it, you know. You look at a few of the late hits. We saw it in the summer. Yeah, we've seen it as well. Yeah, we saw it in the summer in a big way, yeah. But yeah, I, I got a little bit of sympathy for Ross on that one. Uh, I thought that, um, was it Sanchez? I think it was. I think yeah. he got away with a little uh, little hand in the face here that sparked it. But anyway, you know, that didn't come to anything. Wales won, etc. It's all, it's all good vibes. It's all forgotten. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we see it with like the late the late nudge on Sexton. You've seen it in the sixth um, against England uh, on Farrell over there. Yeah. That big colossal bone shaker that came about five seconds after the ball had disappeared from Farrell's hands. Um, you know, those those things could, could cost Wales. But he does play on the edge, and that's where we want him. I did, however, feel in the last sort of ten minutes of that game, he did become a bit of a liability. He had clearly, the, the switch had flicked in his head. Um, there, there was talk that he was quite disrespectful towards the referee um, in terms of not walking towards him when he was called for. He made the referee walk towards him. Um, you know, some of the back chat and things maybe... Um, shortly after that there was a bit of argy-bargy bit of niggle that he was involved in the trouble with that is the teams will know that about him yeah and and they'll know if you keep tapping at him keep tapping at him sooner or later there's going to be an explosion and you know the the challenge that that Ross Moriarty has is keeping a lid on it Um, but you personally you wouldn't I don't think you would change him why you know you can't take that from his game that's what he's all about he's aggressive he gets in your face I bet he's absolutely horrible to play against and that's what you want yeah. you know you need players like that in your team but the challenge he has is, is keeping it keeping it a lid on it and making sure that he doesn't blow up and cost his team because you can you can you can carry him if he gives away the odd penalty and you can Teams will teams will always overlook everything else as long as he keeps doing what he does, carrying hard, being an absolute nuisance in defence, you know, being a threat in defence as well, you know. Um, and I'm talking about you know putting the big hits in to turn the momentum of a phase of play. And as long as he keeps doing that and he doesn't cost his team significantly, they will always overlook the little niggly things like the odd penalty here yeah. or there. But you know, if he does give away yellow cards for for stupid things, then you know you can't someone's going to have to have a word with him I think probably the concern on Saturday was sort of the red mist should we say descended was it like 15 minutes before the end and, and, and rather than it sort of being a like that it's, it's over it sort of just it just, it just, it just lasted didn't it I don't I don't know that it actually descended fully as you said you know, yeah. I think it descended in Argentina yeah. in uh, Santa Fe but I don't think it totally came down in the Welsh derby, like you said. It just, you just clearly things had got to him a little bit, and you so you do worry a little bit because he's he could be on the end of some defeats at the Dragons, and you worry about how he's going to deal with that. The interview he did the other week, I think it was with Scrum Five. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, that's his opinion. We've all got opinions. Indeed, <laughs> it's, it's a funny. Uh, the Dragons press conference before the the, region, the derby by the way Corey Hill was asked about this and um, straight back at it initially uh, the reporter went in with another one is it is it important that rugby players are allowed to have opinions on the game got his bat out again straight back down the pitch uh, I haven't got an opinion on that 
he says. It's the modern game. It is a modern <laughs> game. But yeah, you know, and you can't, I don't want to criticise, I'm not going to criticise Ross Moriarty for giving his opinion because as journalists and yeah. as fans, you know, we don't we want, want these want players it. to be robots and you want them to be personable and relatable and we can, you know, we, we might not all agree with what he's saying but we can understand where it's coming from. You know, he's coming from his frustration and he's being punished at times for imposing himself in the ways he wants to impose himself. You know, I I don't think it's going soft. I think, and I, I know you probably agree on this that you know you've got to be so careful in saying things like that because we're seeing all you know with the concussions and, and injuries that are happening in the game nowadays. Players are so yeah. much bigger, they're faster. Um, you know, the, these collisions are more ferocious, and you know I don't think it's as simple as saying the game's going soft. That that's a dangerous place to go, and I'm not going to go there. But you know. Rossi's obviously frustrated at the moment. Things aren't going the way of the team, but like I come back to it, is his challenge is making sure he can keep a lid on it. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's the thing. The interview, I think, it's great he's giving his opinion, whether you agree with it or whether you don't. It just, so many things from that interview, it just felt like, oh yeah, clearly that there was frustration here, and it's like, one, that frustration could keep growing, and two, you say things like. You know, I'm, rugby's going soft. Whether whatever you think of that, and you know, stuff you're saying about sex and you know, certain players getting protection, it's probably not going to help. It. It's not going to help in no. terms of referees, in terms of other players targeting him in the future. Yeah. And that's what I'm, that's what I alluded to earlier when I said the yeah. referees might go in with an idea of what to look for with certain players. Slowly, unfortunately, he's developed that kind of reputation himself. And it probably, you know, it might go some way to to explaining his frustrations, you know, because referees are wising up to him a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I said, that you want Ross Moriarty on right on that line. Um, you wouldn't change him as long as these things don't get really costly. Because um, that's what you need. That's what you need a, a captain to really sort of just. Yeah, you need Coriel to get have a, have a get word. him in and have a word with him. Yeah, you know. <laughs> A bit of sympathy for Corey Hill in that situation, you know. We've all played rugby with with players who who um, see the red mist, and there is absolutely no talking to them. No. I don't know Ross Moriarty, so I don't know if that's his. I would, but you know, we've all dealt with players like that, yeah. and once the red mist comes down, you can't talk to them. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. A bad thing, like I said, he's just got to make sure he doesn't cross that line, um, and that's the crux of it. As we head into Europe, yeah, I think probably won't spend too long on Europe because we are. Yeah, we'll just gloss da- over it dangerously long too. Huh? Get, get you to do some predictions if you want. Well, let me put this to you. <laughs> Whilst clean, clean sweep. So we got Scarlets at home to Racing, uh, Cardiff Blues away to Leon. Uh, the Dragons are in Romania against Timisoara. Yeah, am, am I right? <laughs> I don't know what to say, but yeah, yeah. let's go with and it. And then Ospreys <laughs> at home to Poe. So. Before this weekend, I'd have thought, you know, Scarlet's against Racing would be a really tough one because, uh, you know, Racing were the only team last year who got even close to beating Leinster. Like yeah. they, they, they showed the blueprint on how to play that Leinster team in that, in that final. And yeah. had Teddy Tomar not sort of decided to go on some head, headless chicken <laughs> run towards the touchline, they probably would have won that final. Yeah. Um, but then they lost to Leon on the weekend. This is what I'm saying, right? 
look at that. Look at those four fixtures. The only one that you would think, not the only one, right? Don't get me wrong. Scarlet's racing is far from a given, right? Especially, of especially with the Scarlet's injuries. Yeah, but I'm quite comfortable in in backing the Scarlet's on that one. The Blues, Blues, Leon, Cardiff Blues against Leon away is a difficult one. Yeah, but if they win that, I can't see the Ospreys losing, and. The Dragons have got a very good chance of winning. Dragons are going over their full strength, aren't they? Jackman's they yeah, they've got to they've got to concentrate on that. They they can't lose. They can't they can't go over there with half a side and lose, right? Because what does that tell you? Yeah. But you know, if the Blues beat Leon, why can't we? Let's be positive about it. They they could be a clean sweep on you. Am I mad? <laughs> For other reasons, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think. Scarlet is going to be a tough one because um, Ras in a big physical, you know. Just, but I think this weekend showed that the Scarlets are more than capable of playing that game, and they showed it last year as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, let's face it, the way they went on a run in Europe, they they are more than capable of winning. Having having, having spoke to Pivac in pre-season, the game obviously Leinster still sort of. Nags at him. The other one is Bath in the rain at Parker Scarlets, where Bath did a job on them in the tight. Ah, oh, yeah, that was a big. So yeah, they've yeah. lost Tyke Byrne, they've lost John Barkley, so he's brought in players like Blade Thompson, Cassian, who, who won't actually play in this one. He's actually suspended, I think. Yeah. But players who can carry out in the wide channels, but they are going to offer bulk and they're going to get you over the gain line out wide, and it's just going to add these dimensions of physicality to the Scarlets' attack, and so. They're probably well built for this game. Maybe it's a bit too early in the season in terms of where they are with injuries. But yeah, you know, it's it's Europe. It's the Scarlets. It's a park of Scarlets. You know, a win's not out of the question. It's not out of the question, mate. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a sweep on here, and I'm I'm, I make no apologies for being positive about it because I feel good. Please, please don't. Please I feel don't. Good no, I make no apologies. He'd be down the betting shop after this. No, can, can we say that? I ain't, ain't going to no betting shops. I don't earn enough money, mate. Not on the same salary as all you boys. Oh, it's me. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Right, that's um, so that's your prediction is a clean sweep, though. It that is a clean it? sweep. That's it, and I'm I'm not prepared to go any further than that. Don't ask me for scores because I'm <laughs> not going scores. Yeah, it's a bit early in the week for scores, isn't it? Yeah. So there we go. That is uh, all for today on the Welsh Rugby Podcast. If you have uh, liked it, go and give it a like and a review on iTunes. Um, and for all the latest Welsh rugby news, uh, all the f- follow-up from the re- from the derbies, yeah, plenty of follow-up from the derbies, and, and building everything up. building up into Europe. We'll have the Wales squad before long, won't we? Wales squad next week, yeah. You can catch it all, of course, on Wales Online.